0: The following thoughts, views, and opinions are not necessarily those of 89.1 WIDR Kalamazoo or Western Michigan University.
1: You are listening to the WSA Hour combined with the Wired Hour this week only on 89.1 WIDR Kalamazoo. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us today. Like I said at the beginning, this week we are combining and creating a collaboration between the WSA Hour and our Lewis Walker Institute Wired podcast. So we are joined with members of the WSA cabinet, as well as Dr. Wallace from the Lewis Walker Institute, and Dr. McCorkle from the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, our Vice President for Diversity and Inclusion here at WMU, to bring you a little bit of a debrief, de-stress, what are we looking at conversation in terms of our election that is still ongoing right now. So my name is Emma Barada. I'm the Vice President for Political Affairs for WSA. I'll be hosting this week's hour, joined with Taylor West um, and Dr. Wallace as well. So we can kind of get right into our topics if you guys wanna go around and introduce yourselves really quick. Um, And maybe just start off by saying like a one word on how you're feeling right now in terms of the election.
2: Yeah, I can go. Um, Hello, everybody, all the listeners. Um, My name is Taylor West. I'm currently your student body president for WMU. Um, How I'm feeling? Anxious. I think that's just the best word to describe how I'm feeling.
3: Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Dr. Luchara Wallace. I'm the director of the Lewis Walker Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnic Relations. And my one word right now
4: is at peace. As long as I don't listen to the news too much. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Candy McCorkle, VP of Diversity and Inclusion, and I would say the way I am feeling is hopeful, and not that management is a is a feeling, but managing lots of other people's uh, anxiety about where we are right now.
0: Hi, I'm uh, Kyle Petronio. I'm the uh, Program Director here at Wider, and I don't even know what the word is that I'm feeling it's It's a combination of anxiety, stress, just everything is kind of like coming together to create this crazy like feeling in my brain at this point also um Emma Smith, if you haven't gathered, we are just kind of introducing ourselves real quick, so
5: all right, thank you. Uh, Yeah, my name is Emma Smith. And was there anything specific I was supposed to say?
1: Just give us kind of your one word feeling about everything with the election right now.
5: Um, That is definitely stressed. I feel like I'm, you know, like trying to do homework and stuff, but I I can't, (laughs) I can't focus at all. I'm constantly just, you know, trying to keep up with the updates and results and stuff like that. So I think it's pretty hard to just kind of focus and yeah, it's just, it's just hard. (laughs) So I'm one of the other Emmas. My name's Emma Scheller and I'm the VP for Student Affairs. And I guess right now I just kind of feel like sad. (laughs) Um, uh, I had a talk with other students in my class and we sat for an hour and a half after class today and talked to our teacher, like me and like eight other students and that was really therapeutic. so yeah, I'm just kind of like de- like desperate for connection right now. I think to talk about what's going on. So I'm glad to be here today.
6: All right, want to hear from the rest of our cabinet members if you guys are ready. Hi everybody, I'm Dahlia Sanchez. I'm the VP of Diversity and Inclusion for WSA. Um, honestly, at this point, I would say I'm kind of just exhausted. Um, some of the other cabinet members kind of touched on it. It's just a lot going on and. You know, not only is election season and everything being so um, divided really exhausting, just, you know, trying to keep up with school, WSA stuff, you know, news, media, just too many things going on, which has led to me being very tired. (laughs) But hopefully everything will um, work its way out.
7: Hi, everyone. I'm Ashley Putnam Murray. I'm serving as your current Chief Justice for WSA this year. Um, I think. Uh, word to describe kind of how I'm feeling right now, well actually like really too, is like hopeful and stress. This election is definitely very stressful for a lot of us but um, for me I know it's just been particularly stressful because um, depending on the outcome this could really have a big effect on me as a person um, and as well as people that I know but um, I'm hopeful because it's better to be hopeful than pessimistic so that's kind of where I'm at right now.
6: Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Chelsea spayman. I'm the Vice President for Sustainability at WSA. i um, like to echo all of their sentiments. Uh, exhausted, hopeful, a little nervous, um, but frazzled because it seems like there's a lot of things to be focusing on right now and never quite sure what should have all of my attention, but trying our best to keep the motivation going.
1: Yeah, I'll kind of echo
0: that sentiment. It's Eli. I'm your uh, VP for, of allocations this year, and I'm definitely a, uh, curious is my one word. I don't think I've quite reached the point where I'm completely exhausted from all this yet. I want to see what the outcomes are and that keeps kind of jogging my curiosity so that's that's all I got.
1: Yeah thank you everyone for sharing those feelings. I definitely would agree. I think I definitely echo Ashley's feelings of kind of that combination of like stress, a little bit of exhaustion but also I definitely feel a little cautiously optimistic. Um, I think that we're seeing the process work thus far, and so I think we just have to keep believing, keep trusting the process, and we'll kind of talk a little bit about how those processes function today. Um, But since we kind of started off just by talking about the many emotions that people are feeling right now, I think it might be a good opportunity to have Dr. McCorkle weigh, weigh in, as well as everyone else, just kind of about like, What are some coping strategies that you can work on? How can you lean on the people around you for support? Um, Just as, you know, we really don't know when we'll have an outcome, but we have to learn how to kind of keep processing and keep moving
4: forward. Well, I will weigh in on some of the ways in which we can cope. Um, This particular election, although all elections are important, this one has real consequences for certain populations. And so there is... You know, it's not just about being anxious because someone who has a different ideology than you might become president, there are real consequences for certain populations. Uh, And so the anxieties are real. And I think one of the things is to, um, now that all the votes have been cast, is to move to the point of understanding um, that we cannot impact any more the vote that has already been done. So kind of accepting what's outside of your control and now focusing on solely what you can control. And What you can control in this situation are your emotions and how you are feeling. Um, I can't remember who stated that they talked in class about this. That's something that is very important right now is to have folks who are supportive. And what I mean by supportive is not necessarily talking to people that will continue to feed that anxiety, uh, but talking to people who will hear what you're saying and who will allow you to kind of vent and express, but then help you look at what are the things you can impact and not just kind of let that anxiety keep circling and circling. Uh, So that is the, the first thing is finding a support group, not necessarily a formalized support group, but a group of folks that you are comfortable with, that you feel safe with, that will hear you, but at the same time help you move uh, to the next step. So that's one of the important things. The other thing right now is physical exercise. Being able to get out, and doesn't mean you have to go and become a personal trainer, but exercising, whether it's a walk, uh, because it helps to get your endorphins going, helps you to be able to quiet the mind and think a little clearly about things. Uh, so that's another thing that you can do. Um, although this is a time where Haagen-Dazs and Ben and Jerry's sometimes become our best friend, they're probably things we should leave alone uh, because they will increase the anxiety that we are feeling. Um, I think the other thing is, is to, if you're not a journaler uh, or if you are, it is good to write down how you're feeling. Part of the, the whole focus of dealing with anxiety is to get out in some way what is making you anxious because the more it's outside of you the less impact it has on you so you're more able to kind of manage your emotions so journaling talking to people walking allowing yourself to feel what you feel and not assume oh you know i have to snap and get it together no if you are feeling unsettled if you are feeling upset if you feel the need to cry allowing yourself to be where you are and not assuming I need to be feeling something different. Uh, So those are some of the things that I think are important for you to do. As I said, the most important is having someone to talk to and support you. Um, And making sure that that is a safe person, a person that will hear you, but also a person that will give you some feedback to help you move forward. Therapy is one way. We are offering on campus uh, several safe spaces that will be hosted by staff in our counseling center and other uh, professional staff on campus uh, in the Bernhardt Center and those are posted online so that students can go and have that space. Um, I know the We Vote uh, program is offering some programs because something else you might not think will help with anxiety is being able to look at some of the issues in a more academic way, because it allows you to kind of turn off the emotions and look at something a little bit more objectively. Some of those events are being hosted as well. So I would say, find those things. If those don't work for you, find your friends. Uh, As uh, someone stated earlier, talk to a faculty member, talk to a mentor. Um, You can find me and talk to me. Um, I will not be your therapist, but I will be more than happy to help you process and sit with you and help you move through those emotions. But those are some of the things that are going to be the best. So having a support system to talk to, um, getting out and getting some physical exercise, laying off of the sweets and the sugary things, that's not going to help you. Um, Also allowing yourself to be where you are and first and foremost, tune out. It is some. I know some people are news junkies, but sometimes you need to walk away from that which is causing your anxiety. So it is okay to tune out sometimes so that you can clear your head. If you are like yoga, yoga focuses on breathing and stretching, which helps to open the body and the mind. Um, that is something, again, anything you can do to reduce the production of cortisol in your system, Reduce those stress, other stress hormones, that's going to help you manage uh, with the anxiety. And, you know, my motherly advice is learning how to accept that which is outside of your control and impacting that which you have direct control over. Um, that is sometimes hard. And just because the election may not turn out the way you want, it doesn't mean your ability to impact things are over. It just means I need to find other ways that I can still be impactful in my community. So it doesn't mean it's over. It just means I have to turn my energies a different way. I hope those were helpful.
0: Go ahead, Taylor.
2: Yeah, I didn't know if anyone else was gonna jump in here. Um, Dr. McCorkle, that was perfectly said. Um, You hit all the points I was gonna throw in there. Um, I just wanna emphasize, focusing on the things that you can control. Anxiety is centered around a lot of, Things that you cannot control and um, if you were to focus on what you have the ability to control in your life that can help um, reduce some of the anxiety of the overwhelming feeling of everything. Um, and you can do mindful breathing um, exercises or some of the other things that Dr. McCorkle had stated. Um, even just like sitting down at your computer, I know we're all um, on Zoom or WebEx a lot of the day and doing homework and stuff. Maybe if you just take like a couple minutes, maybe 10, 15 minutes of the day and just practice some mindful breathing exercises, you know, releasing or removing your tongue from the roof of your mouth, relaxing your jaw, um, your shoulders, and just focusing on your overall body and grounding, um, I think would be really a good Um, effort in reducing that some of this election stress that we're feeling Um, like Dr. Wallace had said at the beginning of this call you know she's been staying away from the news that's what I've been doing too Um, I know when especially COVID was becoming a big was taking over the news quite a bit I knew I couldn't watch the news I just would have to go and do my research on my own time so picking and choosing what avenues you go through is important and crucial Um, just because everyone else may be news junkies around you doesn't mean you have to be so set those boundaries for yourself which is really important Um, listen to your body Um, your feelings are valid so like Dr. McCorkle said if you need to cry cry Um, this is a really stressful time for everybody so you're going to be able to find um, and put some people in your corner that are feeling the same way as you. Hence all of us on the call today, um, are really pumped about this discussion and like kind of getting some communal healing and dealing with the, this really impactful election and the avenue it's going and things like that. So that's all I'd echo because Dr. McCorgle really, really hit it on the head.
6: 89.1 wider FM.
0: Yeah. Just echoing both of your sentiments. Um, I evidently am an exercise junkie. So anytime I'm just cooped up, stuck staring at a screen, looking at news, like freaking out, I'm like, all right, I need to go pump 20 miles on my bike and just like not care about anything except that ride. And usually I come back with a much deeper sense of gratitude towards just like nature and also... Um, the fact that I have the ability to have that outlet. And I know a lot of people don't necessarily have that. So um, I think exercise is honestly underrated. In American culture, we have this tendency to kind of fixate on um, news and like, you know, current events. And um, I don't know, personally, for me, I think that that exercise is what gets me through the day.
6: I wouldn't even mind hopping in right here. I mean, I I definitely agree that exercise isn't really emphasized. It's there's a lot of um, emphasis again, like placed on productivity, and that's not necessarily productivity within your well being. It's more or less what are you doing to kind of, you know, stay ahead rather than what are you doing to stay healthy.
0: Definitely, and I think there's, it's it's one of those things like once you get out and do the thing like you'll feel immensely better. I don't know about immensely, at least for me anyways, but you know, there is, there's a point where you're kind of at a lower, um, mental status and usually it, it elevates you in some capacity, I think.
7: Uh, kind of jumping in, I just like, I definitely agree with everybody, what they're saying, like taking a break from like, you know, the news and stuff like that. I know right now, especially for me, like, I just can't look at the news. Um, I'm not going on my phone to do like the election update because I know that's just going to cause me to stress out more so like I'm either going out for a walk with one of my friends or I'm just going on the television and I'm turning on something that's really funny or lighthearted. I know for me I'm an anime person so I turn on anime to kind of get away from the world and so like you know just that expression of besides turning off like the news like you know watch something else like put on something else fun or get a friend who you know that will be like accountable to you to help you out and keep you from going to that place where you think you're going to get more stressed more anxiety and more you know depressed at so
1: yeah I would I would really echo what Ashley was saying in terms of I guess for me, what's really helped me is kind of setting, like, boundaries for myself and setting kind of, like, parameters as we follow, as I, like, follow the updates, because, like, being the political friend that, like, people go to as, like, these things are happening if they don't know what's going on. I had people texting me all night long on election night. What's going on? What does this mean? What's the latest update? And so just for myself and like my mental health and trying to remain positive and everything, I was like, I'm not going to let myself check and sit and refresh over and over again. I think we get in this habit of like refreshing and refreshing because we want to see that number change. But like knowing that it might not change for another day so that can be just like really hard and so for me being like I'm not going to let myself check more than once an hour that's kind of helped for me and I think it's expanded since then because obviously hourly we're not getting changes anymore Um, but just knowing that like it's okay to step back watch some tv do something else distract yourself sitting and refreshing is not going to always like make the outcome change it's definitely not going to make the outcome change. But does anyone have anything else to add kind of on this topic, maybe some coping strategies that are working well for you or things like that? I can jump in here and just add that um, I have one friend
5: that we like talk every single day and um, recently, you know, elections, obviously the number one thing we talk about. So we'll like talk about it and then we both just know like there's a point where we're like, all right, we just have to talk about something else, you know, we just like try to make each other laugh. Just something to kind of end the conversation not on election stuff just to kind of clear our minds and get into a better state.
1: All right I'll give one last opportunity for you to share your last thoughts on how you can best um, manage your emotional responses and make sure you're kind of taking care of yourself taking care of your mental health Um, and then we'll kind of move into our next topic unless someone has something to add.
4: I just have one last thing, and I think it's been said, and it's this idea of wellness, which is to create balance in your physical, your mental, and your emotional health and your spiritual health. And so making sure you're attuned to where you are and creating balance there, which means not allowing one of those aspects to to get out of whack, because when one of those areas is out of whack, the rest of them will be out of whack. So really focusing on wellness, giving yourself, self care is important, you know, paint your fingernails, give yourself a manicure, go have a massage, um, work out, do things that you enjoy, um, because the more you do things that you enjoy, it helps to clear the mind, keep you at a point where you can focus and manage. It is when we get away from that sense of enjoyment and we get so caught up in tasks and, and the, the busyness of life, that it gets harder to deal with things that are emotionally taxing. And so wellness is so important and balance is so important in order for us to be able to manage the things that can overwhelm us. Uh, so the way to manage that is making sure you're physically healthy, emotionally healthy, mentally healthy and spiritually healthy. When you keep that balance, even though it doesn't mean things aren't stressful, you're in a much better place to manage that stress.
1: Thank you so much for that. So just a reminder to everyone who's listening, you are listening to a collaboration between WSA, the Lewis Walker Institute, and our Vice President for Diversity and Inclusion, Dr. McCorkle, um, only on 89.1 WIDR Kalamazoo. So we're going to go ahead and shift gears just a little bit into kind of processing, I guess, the process of this election and specifically the Electoral College because I think that that's something we're all focusing on right now is as those electoral votes continue to be um, allocated and decided. So I'll kind of turn it over to Dr. Wallace to start to see kind of what she has to add on the Electoral College and how we can move into that topic.
3: Thank you so much, Emma. Um, When we think about the Electoral College, and I think as we think about this process, one of the things that um, kind of connected to what can help us to cope um, during this time is to make sure that we're trying to get understanding. Um, So similar to those things over which you have control, um, learning and and listening to people is one of those things over which we have control. And so I know for me, reading is, is very helpful. Um, one thing that I would like to share with everybody is, is when we think about this electoral college, I mean it has been ingrained and in a part of our American system for a very, very long time in fact it 's actually um, codified in the in Article Two of the United States Constitution because our founding fathers really struggled with how do we decide um, who 's going to be president, how do we decide who our leaders are going to be in fact um, I was doing a little research in preparation for today, and I found it interesting that the number one argument and concern that was voiced by our founding fathers as to why they didn 't want to go with a popular vote was because they were afraid of some tyrant or some sort of tyrannical rule um, manipulating the thoughts and minds of the American population and um, and causing somehow a skewed um, election. And I, I had a chuckle at that. And I'll just leave it at that. I had a chuckle at that because I thought Toss- that was hilarious. Was and um, that was strange. Um, but I thought that that was really interesting um, to know that it was really, tr- it was the goal of the Electoral College was really to help us to create a more equal union. Um, but one thing you have to also have to know about our Electoral College is that When we're voting for president and vice president, well, initially it was just voting for the president. It was voting for um, the president. And then whoever received the top number of votes was the president. Whoever received the the second highest number of votes became the vice president. Um, That was then changed by our 12th Amendment so that when we then started voting for both our president and our vice president, we have our electoral college. They're actually representatives from our respective states. Um, What's interesting and what you probably don't realize is that when we vote for president and vice president, we're actually letting the leaders of our dominant political parties know what the pleasure is of the people. And they're actually the ones who meet in person and they vote on who the president and vice president are going to be. So it's kind of interesting because we think that we're voting and we are voting, but our vote is actually serves as guidance to the electors. And I think that's something that's worth um, kind of noting. There are a total of um, 568 electors. I've got my math right. Yeah, there's 538, excuse me, there's 538 electors, which is why that magic number of 270 is so key. Because um, if we had, we have to make sure that we have a majority. And so it's really 50% plus one in order to determine who the next president of the United States might be. Let me pause right now, right there, because I know what I said probably a whole bunch, but And I could, I'm a history teacher, so I could really go into a deep lesson, but I'm going to pause at that moment and get some response and reaction from the rest of my colleagues here.
2: Yeah, I guess I can jump in here. Um, There has been like an ongoing debate of whether or not the Electoral College is like beneficial. So I'm glad that you had given that um, history overview of that, Dr. Wallace. Um, I remember in my constitutional law class back Last spring, I had an essay question of um, that we had to answer for one of our exams of um, what is your view on electoral college kind of your your take on it? Do you think that we should just get rid of it or do you think it's beneficial or whatever? And if I remember my answer correctly, I think um after learning about the electoral college and how complex it is, um seeing that you know different cities and states um, may swing one way versus the other i just think it's like it's just so complex like i can see the benefits and the cons of it um versus like a popular vote um but kind of i guess i want to pose the question to the group like what do you all think do do you think the electoral college adds to the the foundation of democracy or do you think it hurts it
0: i think in principle and this is kyle um I, like, I think the Electoral College was probably meant to be with good intention. And of course, as history has shown us, it kind of has turned into this complex mess, um, for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it, it definitely is kind of a complicated thing to think about because, I mean, I guess for me, I study comparative public policy, so I look a lot about, like, the structures of governments and how they compare, how their outcomes compare. And I see that like that popular vote method does work really well in some countries. But then, so I'm like, you know, like that's so great. They have all these political parties, people get a lot of representation of their like specific ideas. Um, But then The thing that always gets to me that stops me that I think is kind of an interesting thing to think about is just how big the United States is. I think that that's kind of what makes our situation so different than a lot of other countries is that just geographically we are so much larger and kind of I mean, we have a lot of urban hubs, but we're relatively spread out across this huge country versus other countries who use that popular vote or method. You know, you have countries like Europe or throughout Europe, not Europe, but like in Spain, in the United Kingdom, they use some of these methods. But just thinking about how much smaller they are, I think that that's a factor that kind of plays a role. I don't know if anyone has thoughts on that.
6: I would agree with that statement. Um, It really does play on the complexities of like the system and how your perspective really matters. Um, Like for us, we look at like our system in general and uh, we're supposed to have like a multi-party system, but at the end of the day, it's really a two-party system because there's only two parties that truly can win the vote. Um, So it really depends on the perspective and where you're coming from, especially when each of like the swing states change every couple, you know, decades or whatever time period you're looking at it you know it's really complex to just decide yes this works or no it doesn't but in such a um, divided but large place it can be difficult to like figure out what's going to work perfectly especially in a place like this where change just takes so much time like we can't just try one thing and then try the other and see which one works it's more just like We're just trying to work with this system that has been left to us.
0: WIDRFM.org. Yeah, and I think partially too, Dahlia, going off your points a little bit, is like Americans historically have had this like binary way of thinking. It's like either this or that. And yeah, like multiple parties is, you know, it's something that exists in the United States, but it's not really talked about in mainstream media. and. I I would honestly just ask why like I'm not really sure why we've developed that way but like it's it's very strange to me that you know there's a lot of people that want um systemic change but we we don't have the correct means to do that and the electoral college is just kind of a in that sense the electoral college seems to be a barrier in that um pursuit
2: so like looking at the complexities of the electoral college and understanding that different states get, you know, a different number of electoral votes, do you think it like adds to um oh I just like forgot the whole other half of my question. But do you think it benefits? Cause I know they're based off of population in terms of how many electoral votes um or reps there are, but do you think that's like equitable? Do you think that adds to democracy? Like how is the differentiation like beneficial or not?
3: Well, I think you're asking a really good question, Taylor, Um, because when we think about it, you have, um, each state has electoral college representatives from that would say be like a Senate side. It would also represent like your population of your house, of the house. And so like whatever your proportion is um, from the house of representatives. And so of course that is based on population now. Um, Historically, when not all Americans or not all people, um, especially slaves, were not considered to be people, were not considered to be human, we were considered to be three-fifths of a human, um, you saw saw this electoral college have a different kind of impact. Now where it's a um, one-to-one ratio, like the actual humans that complete the census forms, and that's another conversation, those who complete the census forms are the ones who are contributing to the numbers of representatives that each district or each state has. Um, I mean, it, in theory, it should be a one-to-one representation of how many people are in your state and, and your voice being heard. But I think that if we look a little bit deeper and drill down to how those systems are in place, um, for example, like our United States census process, um, there are still some groups who are categorically and systematically um, kind of shut out of that process, um, whether in actual practice or just in, in philosophically, because of sometimes how there's a, an, an inborn distrust in some communities of our federal government um, for fear, out of fear and, and out of uh, concern for safety. So I think that what happens when we look at our electoral college and we look at um, how did we get here? Um, I think you said it perfectly before. It's really complex. There is no one answer. Um, there are benefits, there are drawbacks, there's, there's opportunities for equity and equal representation, but then there's also not. I mean, fortunately, the District of Columbia does have three Electoral College votes. Um, I had to look up, but, but Puerto Rico does not, you know, and so it's just kind of interesting to see um, how that works. So I know I didn't answer your question because it's not a pretty answer because it's it's really complex. It's not a simple yes or no.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that point about Puerto Rico is especially interesting um because I I hadn't thought about that. I know that they don't have the representation in Congress, but it's kind of interesting that you have the, I mean they have the right to vote, but more than maybe anyone else, their vote is almost entirely symbolic. And so that's just to me, kind of one of the things that comes to mind is that the idea that we're all voting and in some ways that is just like kind of a symbolic vote and more so than it is like a vote that actually has deciding power. Um, I thought one thing that I was going to bring up because we're kind of on the topic of, you know, what works and what doesn't um, I had a conversation, I have a month a monthly meeting with our Vice President for Government Relations, Jeff Brenneman, and we were kind of, you know, debriefing after the election, talking about things, and we got on the topic of the Electoral College and what we thought. And one thing that he had suggested, um, which I know is a kind of a common alternative that people have brought up, is using congressional districts rather than the electoral process. So the votes would be allocated proportionally based on how each congressional district votes. Um, Obviously, then you play in the role of gerrymandering, which is always, it always gets us. But what do you guys think about like, if we did it that way? Do you think that would be better? Do you think it'd be more representative? Or do you think you'd run into kind of the same issues?
0: I was just going to mention gerrymandering. Like I'm not really that familiar but I kind of understand the concept and yeah I think we would run into a lot of the same issues of like um you know districts not being accurately represented and kind of mis misaligned a little bit um I don't know if anyone had any other thoughts
3: there are two states that use that particular system and they're Nebraska and Maine so it is based on their congressional districts and and the how the popular vote is broken out and so there's a proportional distribution that way
2: Yeah, I think that in terms of like costs and benefits, I think it's no matter what happens or if there is a shift in um, between electoral college and like congressional um, avenues, I think we're going to like see the same issue because essentially thinking of the foundation of America and founding fathers and like Dr. Wiles had taught or spoke to um, in our little history lesson is that the The system isn't set up to um i don't know i, I don't i don't want to get too much into it, but i think there is an illusion um, of democracy um if that makes sense because there's so many other um outside factors leading into like um, who gets elected maybe at the federal level maybe it's different for the state level but like who is put up in these positions who's recognized more than others so I think no matter what happens there's more outside factors that can weigh into the effect of this leadership that we have in the United States.
1: Yeah, Taylor I think that your point on like kind of that illusion of democracy I think a lot of people feel that way and I think especially now like there's a lot of things about our democracy that we're looking at and we're either unsure of how the processes work or we're not confident in them. But one example that I kind of wanted to talk about briefly as we kind of continue to talk about the Electoral College, and I think that this is a really good example of like democracy working in the way that it's meant to here, is that there's actually an interstate compact that exists right now. So that's basically when a group of states all sign on to the same piece of legislature or legislation sorry um like passing it they pass it through the states and that's kind of how they it gains its power and they have one of those dedicated to the national popular vote Um, Right now, as of July of this year, it had been enacted into law in 16 different states. So the way that it works is that they are getting more and more states to sign on to this interstate compact. And then once they collectively have 270 electoral votes, so that's what you need for the majority to win the presidency. um, They'll be able to actually determine that the popular vote will win each time because those states are signing on to commit to going with the popular vote. Um, And the reason I bring this up was because Colorado actually passed this, um, enacted it into law um, just this week. And so that adds nine more votes to what they have. Um, So I think that that's kind of a cool example. I followed this since I took um, an American political theory class. It's kind of the idea that Passing a constitutional amendment, we know is incredibly difficult. So these states are kind of doing this at the grassroots level and coming together so that they can kind of buy rural college. Obviously, they're not at the two seventy yet, so it's still something that um, they're going to work on. But I don't know if anyone has thoughts on that. Whether you think, I guess, I think that that's a great example of democracy working because all the states are kind of working together and it's based on the vote to the people, whether they want to sign on to it or not. Um, but again, you know, it's kind of bypassing that constitutional amendment process. So I don't know if anyone has thoughts on that either way.
0: Like that sounds cool in practice to me. And I think like given the situation, it's like kind of commendable. But at the same time, it's like the fact that we're having to do this because we don't actually really follow the constitution except when we like desire to in a sense, I feel like that's kind of problematic.
3: You know, Emma, I think it's, I think the idea of a constitutional compact is, is very, um, or it's, it's, it's fascinating. And um, I guess the one thing that, and there's nothing, I have nothing to say against it at all. I guess my, my thought is, is when we talk about, you know, democracy and when we talk about, you know, what does that mean and how do we make our voices heard? Um, no matter what happens, no matter how the decision is made, it still has to be the will of the people to ultimately guide our leaders and our state representatives to make those decisions on our behalf. And so I know sometimes it it feels really frustrating and sometimes we feel really powerless, Um, but I'm still encouraged because in theory, our electors or You know, representatives through the compact are still voicing their opinion based upon what we said as voting members in our respective communities. And so that still gives me a great deal of hope. And that still encourages me because if you look at, I mean, when I look just here at Kalamazoo County and I looked at some of the election returns, you know, you had in some districts, in some places, you had this, um, the winner and the loser determined by 50 votes or by tw- less than 25 votes. And so when someone's, and, and the way in our system works is winner takes all. So, I mean, I'm encouraged to think about the fact that no matter what systems we're using, our voices are still making a difference. And, and I would like to also add that for many of us, our politics, truly is local. So I realize we spent a great deal of time talking about the top of the ticket, talking about the president and the vice president, um, but so much more of what makes a difference in our everyday life comes down to who's our drain commissioner, comes down to who's the mayor, comes down to who's the treasurer and and what are the policies that they're enacting that are going to make the difference between someone Experiencing foreclosure and someone staying in their home. So that, that's kind of what this whole process is also um, illuminating for me and, and that's why it gives me hope.
1: All right. I think that that brings us to like a really kind of great transition point to go into our final part. So just a reminder to everybody that's listening, you are listening to a collaboration between WSA, the Lewis Walker Institute, and our VP for diversity and inclusion, Dr. McCorkle on 89.1 WIDR Kalamazoo
5: ditkalamazoo.com is a website created to bring the music lovers of Kalamazoo together. Although a lot of shows have been canceled, you can check it out for updates on live streams as well as information about COVID-19. ditkalamazoo.com.
1: So as we kind of transition into our last topic, something that I kind of thought we could build on was what Dr. Wallace was just talking about with that kind of grassroots community level politics that I think as young people, it can feel small and you feel like you want to topple things right from the top. You want to go to the president, you want to go to your senators. But like we've talked about in some of our previous um, podcasts is that, you know, a lot of that change happens at the ground level. And sometimes it happens, you know, within you making the choice of how you're going to respond to things. Um, And so I have these democracy conversation cards that were sent to me by Dr. Keel, who is the faculty co-chair for We Vote. Um, And as Dr. Wallace was talking, this quote that's in one of these conversation cards came up and I thought maybe it would be an interesting thing to talk about and kind of get into what we can do now that the election's over to kind of keep our momentum going and make our communities better. So this is a quote um, that says, the human heart is the first home of democracy, is where we embrace our questions. Can we be equitable? Can we be generous? Can we listen with our whole beings, not just our minds, and offer our attention rather than our opinions? So it's a quote from Terry Tempest Williams um, that was just included in these conversation cards. But I guess the question I would pose is... um, you know, what do you think about that? What do you think that we can do to kind of take up those democratic values within ourselves? And also like, what does a heart-centered democracy look like to you?
4: Emma, this is Dr. McCorkle. I think um, I love that quote um, because it means it starts with each of us as individuals. Um, Are we willing to do our part in democracy? Democracy does not work as a system in and of itself. It only, any system only works if those within the system are using it correctly and engaging in it. Otherwise it does not work and just only in theory. And so I think for me a heart focused democracy is one in which we are all willing to engage and engage using the same set of rules. So you know being very cautious to check ourselves and to think, am I engaging in this the same way that I want others to engage? There's a wonderful uh, South African concept called Ubuntu. And it goes along with that quote really well, because it talks, the, the essence behind the concept is, you are validated when you validate someone else. So if I want to be heard and my opinion or my thoughts valued um, I need to be able and be willing to do that for someone else. Uh, And so I think that's kind of what that quote is saying is before you engage in a democracy, are you really willing to engage in what that all means? And if you can't just take the pieces that you like, are you willing to engage in the full system? If you are, then democracy has a chance to be an effective system.
3: I really love what you just shared, Um, both Emma, that quote, and Dr. McCorkle kind of bringing it into Umbutu, I believe is what you said. I think that that's so huge when we think about democracy outside of ourselves, outside of just a personal, singular, what will the democracy do for me, and think more about our collective. That's the power of democracy is our collective strength and our collective capacity. So thank you so much for bringing that up.
0: I think also too it it stems into community and even within like you know all of the protesting for Black Lives Matter and things of that nature that happened in the summer, you know we're we're seeing i think and maybe it's because I personally am like uh more attuned to that than I may have been. Uh, before but like I feel like people are actually starting to agree on things and at least you know entertain the idea of healthy debate and I think people are unable to healthily debate now because they take it as a personal like jab or um, everything has just become more personalized and I I honestly cannot remember the time when it was not like that
2: Yeah, going off of that, um, having the, like leading with the emotion um, instead of strategy is where we're seeing like a lot of these little dips or pitfalls, but it's, it's, I feel like it's necessary um, because it's raising awareness, especially, and we've talked about this in our multiple other podcasts, but uh, the use of social media and how that's impacted a lot of this. Um, going all the way back to George Floyd if if people wouldn't have watched that eight-minute video I don't think there would have been nearly as big of an impact as there, there as what had happened um, but going back to you know a heart-centered democracy I think that is like a dream <laughs> if that makes sense um, I feel like people are really um, want to keep their opinions um as a truth as fact when um they're just opinions per se and can be backed up by by information and research sure but i think it it becomes to the point where it's you know if if it's not my opinion then it's the wrong one and that goes all the way back to civil discourse and kind of looking at this from like a holistic world and health perspective and kind of wanting to um, adhere to the betterment of our Earth and our planet and our the people who live here. Um, and I think if we had focused and we all had a common goal of that, kind of what Dr. McCorkle was saying a bit earlier, if we all had that um, that idea or that kind of perspective, then we could totally hit that heart-centered um, democracy in wanting to um, wanting to help everyone who lives in the United States, you know what I'm saying? And thinking about other people other than just yourself. Because, I mean, yes, we talked about you can only control the things that you can control, but, like, expanding your horizon, horizons and perspective um, into thinking about other people or thinking about different viewpoints. I know that's a skill a lot of people haven't developed, but I think that's how we get and move the needle to, like, that heartfelt democracy, per se.
0: And that involves uh, removing apathy in a similar light. Um which is not easy. And I think also kind of removing yourself from the situation in terms of ego. Um, I think ego is what stops us from having a lot of productive conversations. Even if it's with people you completely despise and don't want to like talk to. Um, I think it's not, it's, it's recognizing that even though like uh, we may have like the right answers, at least in our head, the other person might not agree with us, but like we're not even giving them the benefit of the doubt to like, you know, display that. And I'm not saying that that's very general, but yeah, go ahead, Taylor.
2: But yeah, and also going off that, people also, when things are uncomfortable or emotionally unacceptable, people just tune it out. and that's where I see a lot of this um, lack of information coming through in the sense of like, Oh, that's too hard for me to watch. Or um, that's too hard for me to like think about because it's not directly affecting that individual. And that's where we come to the point of like growth versus fixed mindset. The only way you can grow is if you dive into those, that uncomfortability and expand as a person, because if you don't, you're just going to stay in that fixed mindset and, and everything, Exactly. exactly. And everything around you will fix to what you believe instead of what is the reality of the situation. Um, So I just wanted to because that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, and and people like are notorious for living in denial right now. Like, I mean, come on. We have social media where we project out these like ideas of what we're supposed to be toward other people that then validate us through a literal click, a a like, a, you know, a favorite or whatever. But it's, I I guess it's more just like crazy to expect people to um, have sanity within the current social constructs. So we have to consciously like break down those um, expectations, I guess.
1: I think you guys have made great points. And to Taylor's point kind of of that fixed mindset, I think that that functions in a couple of ways. It functions in the sense of, you know, once you have that opinion that you're clinging to can be really hard to see other people's opinions, but I think it's it also is something you can think about systemically with you know so many people are calling into question our systems and you know the problems that exist with them and that's a challenging thing because these systems have been in place for hundreds of years and they've continued to disadvantage certain people for hundreds of years and that can be really discouraging um, just to feel like it's hard to make those changes quickly so going back to these cards because I think they're really interesting, um, this is a quote. Um, from Emma Gonzalez who um, was an activist with the March for Our Lives um, following the Parkland shooting and this is a quote that she had saying maybe the adults have gotten used to saying that it is what it is but if students have learned anything it's that if you don't study you'll fail and in this case if you actively do nothing people will continue to face the consequences so it's time to start doing something so I kind of wanted to end there with like you know it is time to start doing something and we're in the election but that's not no matter what the outcome is we still have the ability to keep moving and keep doing and keep working towards what matters to us so you know like what do you want to do after this election and how do you want to make your community a better place or how do you think you can do that
0: i think it starts with being willing to engage in those conversations like i've mentioned many a time um and I need to take my own advice too. So
2: i um, going back to my, like diving into that uncomfortability, not like, let me just clarify if it's, if you feel like it's unsafe for you to do in that situation, don't do it. But I'm saying, if you're feeling a little like, Oh, I don't know if I want to say this, I want. I would encourage everyone listening to dive into that uncomfortability because I can guarantee that it would expand your horizons into thinking and gaining different perspectives that could ultimately help you develop your own um, different opinion and perspective and just listening to other people. So, yeah.
1: All right. As we're kind of, I think, nearing the end of our time, I'm not sure if Kyle gives us an update, but um, I guess let's kind of think about some closing thoughts we have, whether you want to share kind of. How you plan to go forward, or how you think that we as students can continue to advance our interests because really no matter who wins, there's still advocacy to be done um, there's still um, just a lot a lot of work to be done really so like what can you do to get out in your community or to continue pushing your causes forward um, no matter who the winner is because I, there's no you know I think we talked about this last week like people aren't monoliths. These leaders aren't monoliths. Neither one of them stands for things that are all good or all bad. So what can we do to kind of make sure that our political leaders are staying accountable to us, even if they are the ones that we voted for and that we wanted? That doesn't mean that they're going to maintain that accountability. So how can we ensure that that happens?
3: I think that's a great point and a great um, question, Emma. I would encourage everyone um, to make sure that you're actually reaching out to and staying in touch with our elected officials. Um, One thing that I've learned in um, the many times that I've had the opportunity to travel to the Hill and to even just engage with some of our local elected officials is frequently, they say, we want to hear from our constituents. If you don't say what's on your mind, if you don't ask them questions directly, then they won't answer them. And I know that sounds really simple, but, It really is just like that. And even if they don't come out on the same side that you were hoping that they were going to come out, or maybe they don't vote the way that you were hoping that they would vote, if you at least let them know, this is where I stand and this is why I stand and and believe this, it's amazing how much, A, respect they begin to gain for you as a constituent, and B, it helps them as they shape and form some of their ideas for future decisions. And I can give you one very good example. Um, one time I was traveling on the Hill and I, and I had my congressional visits and I met with our Congressman, Congressman Fred Upton. And um, in that particular time, there was questions going on about our, the Article 2 of the Higher Education Act. And specifically, it was focusing on a certain type of funding. And I was just letting him know, hey, this funding impacts you know the following various vocations and careers, and he didn't realize that. And so as a result, we were able to influence his vote and his voice on how he was able to articulate where he stood on that particular topic and why he wanted to support it to make sure that that we did have that funding included. Um, I guarantee you that had we not been there and had we not explained to him what it really meant and the impact, um, that he would have voted a different way. Um, The same thing last week when we heard from prosecutor Jeff Getting, on our Make Change Student um, Summit on Leadership, or excuse me, Student Summit on Advocacy. One of the things that Jeff Getting said was call me, talk to me, ask questions. Let's discuss the questions and concerns that you have because either he's gonna have answers or he's not. But if he doesn't, then he knows what he needs to look for because you're gonna be expecting follow-up. So I just encourage people to reach out.
1: Yeah, I wanna echo that too and just say, write to those people, give them a call. Their information is easy to find if you just search their names and their websites. Um, I am a former congressional district office intern and I can tell you that they will write you back because I've sealed the envelopes myself. Um, so engage with those people because they, you, as your constituent, they are there to serve you. So I echo completely what kind of Kyle was saying in terms of those professors, you know, they have the office hours, they have their emails, But if you don't take the time to send that email and say, hey, I'm struggling or this is is where I'm feeling challenges, they don't always have as good of a grasp of their district as you think they would or should. So it, it's on you sometimes to reach out and say, hey, this is a problem. And at the same time, I would also encourage you, if um, your representatives are doing something that you really like and you support, write them a letter thanking them. They don't get a lot of messages like that, I promise you. So taking the time to do that, it, it makes you memorable as a constituent, but it also lets them know that what they are doing is right and that you support it. Um, an example that I um, have from this morning Um, with Vice President Brenneman was talking about, you know, we had this CARES Act funding that we got that they really worked with our, um, they worked with universities on, universities were going going out of their way to say, you know, our students need relief. Um, And obviously, you know, we would all love to have a little bit more of that. So on that topic, um, I encourage all of you to write a letter to our representatives. Um, So both of our senators, um Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters and also to our representative Fred Upton and say you know this is what I did with my CARES Act funding thank you you know for pushing that forward and be like and we still need some more like this is a great opportunity for you to give that feedback loop of this meant something to us and this helped us in a time of need but we're still in need so please continue to push that forward if all of even if 5,000 students from Western Michigan wrote a letter they would remember that they it would hit their desks they would see it that's a substantial amount of power that we have as a group of people so Take advantage of that power that you have. And, you know, if you're going to write a letter, talk to your friend, talk to three of your friends and ask them to write a letter or give a call as well. There is definitely power in numbers. Thank you so much to everyone on our panel today, as well as all of you for tuning in and listening. But to conclude, thank you so much for watching the WSA and Lewis Walker Institute Collaboration Hour this week on 89.1 WIDR Kalamazoo.